Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi friends, welcome back to In The Pink with me, Natalie Pinkham. And my next guest is another member of the Sky F1 team. He is a current racer. I can hear your brain sticking over trying to work out who it is. I'm of course talking about Paul DeResta. We talk about the current state of the championship. We talk about family life and getting that balance right. We talk about him stepping in in 2017 for Felipe Massa. Remember that? He tells me about all the emotions that he experienced at the time and about the recent news that he is the reserve driver for McLaren, which is very exciting. So here he is, Paul DeResta on In The Pink. Let me know what you think. Hello, Paul DeResta. How the devil are you? Very good, thank you. You? Yeah, great, thanks. Great. Nice to see you again. So um, first and foremost... uh, how is the family? How are you enjoying the start of the season? Two very different questions, but uh, yeah, fill me in. Well, you know what a family life's like, Nats. One minute you're up, one minute you're down. You go through the emotions of uh, bringing up young children, depending on how my daughter's mood goes generally is how the family mood is in the house. She certainly rules the world at the moment. Um, but no, listen, they're healthy. Um, we're very fortunate where we've been living in Monaco, they've been at school. Um, they've been very much with their friends and everything like that. So we are the lucky ones. I get that. Their education is key. Um, but we've just been trying to keep ourselves as safe as possible and, and try to keep as much of a normal life with them as possible. Um, but that, that's obviously been the big test. But uh, listen, uh, hopefully soon we'll be able to hug the grandparents, try and travel a bit more and see them because I think that's the biggest thing where we live um, and they haven't seen anybody since Christmas and it's quite a long time for young kids not to see people even face to face um, and it, it's getting to the point where they don't actually want to see them on the phone because they just really want to to get to see them in person. I, I couldn't agree more it's so difficult isn't it there's no substitute obviously it, it's it's a big help having FaceTime as we know, when we travel as much as we do with Formula One, just to be able to see our kids every day, their faces, not just hear their voices. But there's nothing quite like touch and feel and hug and eye contact and everything else. They're not. And it's, it's odd that, you know, my son's, he's, you know, five and a half. So he understands it a bit more. And I think his emotions are playing with them more. And he got to the point where he just said, I don't, I don't want to see people on the phone. I just want to see them. I want to go back to Scotland. And, 
you know, I, I want to see my grandparents, but it'll be soon. I, I think um, it'll be very soon where it goes. Um, the main thing is Formula One started, so that keeps him busy on a Sunday when he's not at school. Um, and he's uh, he's absolutely loved the season battle because obviously he's um, he's got Lewis dominated the past couple of years, but see Max getting involved now um, is absolutely on the edge of your seat. And uh, I got to actually enjoy the Emila Grand Prix. Um, I wasn't there, you know, I, though I like to be at races. But actually sitting on the sofa and seeing it from a viewer's point of view, the show um, you get to put out and actually just being with my boy, actually, on a Sunday afternoon watching some sport um, was quite special. And now that you can actually sit there and watch it with him and he's not running around being, you know, making racket, you actually wanted to sit and, and get into it. That's so cool because it's quite a long time to concentrate for, even for grown-ups, let alone kids. So, so he, he, you have his full attention on it, do you? And Perla, I presume, yeah. is still too young. Yeah, I think, well, Perla is a bit in and out anyway. Concentration <laughs> levels are one minute they're here, five minutes are over there. Uh, but for him, um, football and racing, I don't really know what one he would choose first, actually. He quite likes watching Football, catching up with that. Um, I like to have football on sometimes in the background. I'm not, don't support any teams or anything like that. I just, I like to have the noise on. Um, and he seems to have picked up both. You know, he seems quite, quite sporty. So football's probably a bit cheaper in the long run. So we yeah. might push that direction a bit more. Um, but he's massively into racing. Um, you know, where, you know, when he draws a picture, it's a racetrack and it's, it's cars and it's sector times and, uh, understanding all these kinds of things that you know you just you just wouldn't believe numbers knows every every driver's number off my heart wow. knows the driver's changes now so we're, we're fully committed a bit worrying in a sense I don't ever remember being that switched on about it at that age I always wonder how much of this is nature and how much is nurture because obviously most young boys particularly and some young girls want to emulate their father and they want to impress their dad and say you know my daddy's a racing driver and they want to be part of their world but equally he's obviously inherited your genes and I feel with you that racing's always been in your DNA because certainly your dad's always been busy with it and you know I, I wonder whether that was just a predetermined path for you. Well, it probably was when you look back. You know, people say to me, did you want to do it? It wasn't a case that I want to do it. It was when could I do it? When could I get myself in a car? When could I get myself on the track? Uh, and I was never asked the question, you know, is this, choose this or choose that? It was it was always just there. And it, it kind of is in your DNA. And I think it certainly looks like that at the moment. It's kind of coming along with Leo. Um, probably not got the opportunities that I had because my dad was a bit more dedicated because uh, he wasn't quite as busy as I am traveling and racing. And if there's only one concern I've got about trying to get Leo into racing, is, uh, I've still got a good few years left myself racing. And how can I put that into him? And I know how much time it requires to be at the top level. You know, if you want to be an F1 and you want to be there, you almost need to start young. You almost need to have the influence of your dad. I hope I would be able to give him good advice. I know some kids um, struggle with their parents in sport. They need a coach. Uh, but I'd, I'd actually want to be involved, and that's where I, you know, it would tear me what way or the other. But, um, you know, people say, oh, you don't want to push him into that and other drivers. And I'm like, how can you say no? You know, I grew up wanting to do it. I grew up, like, absolutely throwing everything at it. And if that's what the kids want to do, whether it's Leo or Perla, I will give them the opportunity as best as I can. I'm not saying it's going to be enough, uh, but I will certainly give them the opportunity to try and show me they're capable of taking it on but at the same time I will support them in other sport because um, I, I think it's very much it's got to be the person that wants to do it and 
even when people ask me, what does it mean to you? What well, means something different to me? And you, the only way you could probably get that is if you've dreamed of doing something yourself and you've achieved it. Yeah. And not everybody gets that chance. Uh, and I think that's where we're, we're all quite privileged in a sense, the job that we're in. And I feel for the people that don't get the opportunities because, um, you know, for whatever circumstances. It's so interesting, isn't it? Because with that privilege, it's it's almost an undoing in a way because so many of the, the top sportsmen and women in whichever field they've chosen have got there because their back's been against the wall. They've had that element of adversity and they've it's been all or nothing. And and for every one of them, there's hundreds of thousands of of, of people that didn't make it. And and yet sometimes when you have too much choice and you spread too thin. You know, and you just don't know as a parent what the right decision is. You don't want to be forcing them down a route, but equally you want to, um, you know, give them all the support if that is the route that they choose. But how do they know aged five and a half? You know, it's, it's tricky. They don't. I think the most important thing I want, I want them to be active in sport. I want them to have some kind of dedication. You know, I want to keep them focused on something and want them to push themselves, whatever direction that is. We will find that soon. I guess we're starting to find out what it it's going to be but it's a sacrifice young kids at the moment they're, they're being denied that because they can't do they can't be in teams and they can't be together starting to open up but mm. it's such an important point that I kind of need to find out where that's going to be and from there on in I guess there goes the long lines on a weekend and there goes the easy afternoons when you're at home you know it comes into as you know with young kids and that's it just becomes about them and then you've got homework and and, and that's honestly um where I you know the way my life's balanced, my wife is the absolute, you know, she is the one that keeps this, keeps this all going. You know, I go there, work, do what I can to support us. But in terms of keeping us, you know, sane and keeping us absolutely on the straight and narrow, Laura is the hero of the family. Oh, that's lovely. That is lovely. I, I do always laugh when I go to a race weekend and then I, I come back and, and Wiggy literally like hands me the kids like I'm exhausted you take over and I'm thinking I wasn't on holiday you know I was actually working at the weekend <laughs> there's no days off there's no days off um, but let's talk about the season um, you touched on it earlier and uh, Leo's take on it all uh, but but what do you make of things do, do you really think that this battle uh, between Max and Lewis can go to every single round and all the way to the end of the season? I'm not sure it's going to go to every round, but I think it's going to go the full season. Uh, I think they're in a difficult position, both Mercedes and Red Bull. How much do they focus on development to win this World Championship versus next year? Um, and if you were Red Bull, this is this, the this closest sniff you've had since in this turbo hybrid that you've got to throw the toolbox at it uh, to do it. And Max is just in such a zone at the moment. You have to, you have to carry on. Uh, I think it would be nice to see another team win it. Uh, I think it would be unfortunate if Mercedes, and listen, I've drove with Mercedes. I know what it means to them and I know the effort they put in. But as a fan of the sport, I'd like to see somebody else get it back because I think it would draw the attention to the sport more. I think we're already seeing evidence of that, how popular Formula One is at the moment, even with this battle. But the two of them, um, Lewis and Max, are just on another level absolutely on another level driving weight. Uh, the teams are on another level how they're performing and the cars are giving them. Uh, and I'm just excited to see them go, you know, get their arms out, get their elbows out and go up against each other. I think Max has made a few mistakes that have been uncharacteristic. But at the same point, I think Lewis was very lucky in Imola. The, you know, he made a, I would say he made a mistake trying to go around outside of Lewis and damaging his wing on the first lap. 
And then obviously sticking it in the gravel uh, while racing to get by George Russell. And then fortunately for him, Russell and Bottas came together. He got his lap back and you know got up to P2. But you can't take away anything that Lewis does because when he's not made those mistakes, he's been absolutely 100%. And they both kind of have. And I think it shows those mistakes they're making because they need to be at the top of their game. If they do a 98% job, it's not good enough. Mm. It and just makes mistakes, yeah. And, and that's where I think you're going to see mistakes of the two of them. Um, I think there are going to be times that are going to suit different people at different times, different tracks. Uh, I think when it, start, when it starts to warm up, I think you're going to see Red Bull probably come a bit more into their own. And equally, when we go to tracks that are a bit cooler, um, like we were at the weekend there in, in the Algarve in Portugal, where it suited the Mercedes. Um, it's just about where the teammates fit into that. And I think the, the politics of that have been quite evident. And I think that's where they've both got a very good balance for having Bottas as a wingman for Lewis because he pushes them. If he does a great lap, he beats them in qualifying. Perez is a great racer and he can put the pressure on and Red Bull can use him strategically, which they've not been able to do since they've had Albon and Gasly um, and against Max. So um, I, I'm excited because I think Formula 1 2021, there's going to be a lot said about it because I think, honestly, I think they're probably, if you had to have five of the top drivers ever in Formula 1, those two definitely fit in the top five. And that's without Max winning a championship. I think he's got the most natural ability that we've had in this sport. Um to show what he's done so far. Wow. So you'd put Max in the top five of all time? I think indefinitely I would on speed, 100%. So come on then, one name, Lewis Hamilton or Max Verstappen? Who for you is the more complete driver? You'd have to stick them in the same car to find that one out. Um, but honestly, I think if you were sitting there with a team principal with an indefinite budget, focusing on the future, I think at the moment, probably age would probably carry into the decision process. And I think that's where Max is probably favoured on that side. But then you've got Lewis's racecraft, what he's able to do at different times. And I think that's something we're never going to find out what the, the true answer is, um, what's going to be about. But they're, they're both absolutely at the top of their game at the moment. And I love to see them both racing against each other at the moment because... Um, you know, in Formula One, you get denied these opportunities time and time again, but you've got it this year. You know, you've got the Prost-Senna battles. Um, you've got, you know, Mansell back in there when he was having his rivals. Um, and I just think it'll go down going to be one of the things because Lewis is, you know, Lewis is certainly coming to the end of his career at some point. It's interesting because uh, one of the things I'm, find so compelling is that Lewis is being challenged in a different way and he's really reveling in that. It feels as if he's having to tap into parts of his own psyche that he hasn't had to for some time and he's enjoying that process and therefore we're seeing all that experience and that wiliness come to the fore and you know that presumably makes every win that he does take all the more satisfying. I think it's important with Lewis. I think you're seeing the true Lewis. I think you're seeing his character come out. But I think you're seeing something with Lewis that's able to come out because of how successful he's been in the past, in the recent years. Because he's got that seventh world title, because he knows he's equal to the best ever in Formula One. The records are kind of set. And he's able to say, look, man, uh, you know, whatever I do from here on in is just going to you know, go in the history books. But he can certainly make it another level, but I think if that didn't happen, I think he would look himself in the mirror and say, I've, I've had a great run at it. Uh, and what's nice is he's given people compliments and he's able to race them and he's, you know, he's geeing on like 
Lando Norris when it's time to say, you know, keep your head up, is able to say to Max, oh, what a great battle. But I don't think Lewis would have said that in year three, year four, when he was winning the world title. Definitely not. And I think that's purely down to how mature he is at the moment. Yeah, couldn't agree more. He's like the elder statesman of Formula One. Anyway, look, back to you. This podcast is about Paul DeResta. So I want to understand from you um, how you juggle racing and your work at Sky, because you it feels as if you've found another really strong string to your bow in broadcasting. Have you been surprised about how much you've enjoyed it and how good you are at it? You know, Did you expect that to happen or has this been sort of um a bit of a fluke in a way uh, i wouldn't say it's been a bit of a fluke um you're obviously when i was in f1 people always said oh you explain things well you know you're calm you're collected this and that but i guess uh, naturally how it came about was i wanted to be about the paddock um i felt like um when sky were there they were the best at what they did uh, um, and you, you've got to think of the long term what you're going to do. Now, I put so much effort into my career and so much into, you know, kind of learning about rules, um, how you go about racing, um, the characters of different people, relationships. I put all that into it. And I think um, when I, I bumped into, I was talking about, I bumped into Simon and Crofty in the Monaco Paddock in 2015, I think it was. And I was like, you know, I'd be keen to probably try and, a couple of weekends alongside my racing duties to start to look at TV because I think I'd probably quite like to be part of the team. Ten minutes later, um, there you go. I was doing the Canadian Grand Prix two weeks later and I, w- I was kind of part of the team. And it very quickly went from like four or five races a year to kind of then six. And then I remember, I think it was 2017, I, I sent through my calendar and said, you know, these are the races I can do. And I got an email back and said, okay, we'll take them all. And I was like, hold on a minute. I said, those are the races I could do. And it turned into being 18 races. Um, and it went, it, you know, when you say it walk and you run, but uh, I said, great. If, if that's what people want, if they want 18 races, you're obviously a firm part of the team and you need to embrace yourself into it um, to actually know what's going on. Uh, and I've got to say, I love being on tour. Um, listen, when I'm sitting there watching the cars, I'm jealous as hell. You know, I want to be in the car. I want to be strapped in it. I want the opportunity to do it. But at the same time, I'm getting to talk about what I love doing. And it's something that comes naturally to me, understanding how a race works, understanding how the drivers work, the engineers, what it takes to be at a Formula One weekend if you're a fan. And genuinely, um, I can see myself doing it for a lot of years. You know, I'm at a point now where I've had a lot of experience. I think I'm up to six years six or seven years experience in TV. I've just turned 35. So hopefully I'll do another seven, eight years racing myself and then properly get into it where that will become the main focus. But it combines very well. And I think what I try to lean on from that side of what I know is um, my relationships with the drivers, uh, under, you know, and still racing some of them actively in different weekends. Um, and I think that's what's really cool about it because you can have a normal conversation and hope you can come at it a different way from if it was the likes of yourself asking them a question. Yeah, yeah, 100%. And I think that sort of Venn diagram in your life is such a useful one because you've got that overlap. You can bring so much, not just from racing into broadcasting, but also broadcasting back into racing. And uh, no more so than, as you mentioned, 2017, when you actually had to leave our team and jump into the car for Massa. I mean, I, I remember that so clearly in that moment. And there was this like buzz about the Sky F1 team that, 
Oh my God, Paul's going to race this weekend. Just just recount for the listeners um, what happened and how you felt in that process. Well, I think if I had, if I'd known how to handle the media and what the media want from you when you were in F1, it would have been very different. But I was so constrained when I was doing F1 um, when I was part of Force India. It was a very difficult team and lots of things going on in the background I can't go into the details of, but it, it held you, I'd almost say it tied you to the team more than it needed to, rather than just being open um, and try to be more confident. And I always felt like I wanted to say more, but I couldn't. I was so briefed on what you were allowed to and what was the standard. And of course, when you're a young driver, you fear what the complications are of that, you know, later on. Um, but, you know, you, t- you talk about that race. You know, another thing that was quite strange was I wasn't actually supposed to be at that race. I think Martin Brundle was ill. So I was called in to be lead commentary with Crofty. So I was in there because, you know, somebody was sick within the team. Then obviously when I got there, uh, you were part of that team that weekend. And then I, I remember being out on track doing the, the kind of, you know, talking about what the cars were doing in FP2, standing there with my bib on as a, like the photographer's bib talking about cars zipping around Budapest. Um, and I noticed one of the Williams wasn't driving. It wasn't out on the track. Um, and it wasn't until obviously I got back to the pits and realised that Massa wasn't very well. I, and that evening, I got a kind of call up to say, Felipe's not great. We think he'll be OK, but you need to kind of come and sit in the real car and do a seat fit. Because I'd only done a seat in the mock-up. I hadn't sat in the actual car. I'd been in obviously enrolled in all the meetings and briefings that I could make fit in my you know calendar when I was there with Sky, but Sky was my priority. Um, and I kind of did some of the tests to get myself up to speed. Um, I obviously stopped eating that night just to make sure I was as best as I could be on weight. Um, and I remember running, turning up on the Saturday morning and it was a bit like, am I in, am I not in? Uh, and there you go. It turns out I was in the car. Um, but that didn't happen till midway into FP3. Felipe was deciding that he was going to have another go and realised he was still dizzy. And I remember I was up in the hospitality, um, the Sky Hospitality, having a cup of tea just to go and iron my shirt. And I got the phone call to say, no, we're live. We're going to do this. And I think you were actually standing next to me when that happened, um, when I absolutely got confirmed. So I remember kind of grabbing my stuff. I was still dressed in my good trousers and my trainers that you wouldn't probably be wearing if you were a driver. He'd wanted to be in a pair of shorts, but I remember going down and kind of just like trying to fast track my way through the, the, the briefings, fast track my way through um, what the qualifying program is going to be, trying to force a little bit of chicken and rice down my throat uh, to try and give me some energy. Uh, and kind of two hours later, I was going to be taking the car to qualifying. But honestly, that was a blur. That was hard. All that bit, the process of getting dressed, um, I think just going through all the things. The only time I actually thought and I felt comfortable was when the car actually hit the ground and I drove out into the pit lane. And when I drove into the speed limit, I was like, ah, I'm back in an office. I'm back in something familiar. I hadn't driven the turbo hybrid engine, hadn't driven the new generation of Formula One. I hadn't been an F1 car since actually I'd driven in 2013 at the Brazilian Grand Prix. Uh, and there we are in the middle of 2017 silly season when everybody's going crazy before the summer break and you're thrown in the deep end. But when I got in the car, that was the most comfortable part of it. And I just slowly but surely plucked away it and went to where I was confident. Yes, I could have probably went a bit quicker, but there was probably double the risk of sticking it in the barriers and looking silly. And I think what I tried to do was conduct myself in the best possible manner that I could. And 
I, I think with the reaction I got with team principals in the pit lane and other drivers, um, I think they were all pretty shocked shocked what I did. I, but of course, the, the problem with it, it just gave me the bug to get it back in a Formula 1 car even more. It was kind of probably just getting over to accept it and then, you know, this little thing dangled in front of you to say, um, and the unfortunate thing was it was a summer break, so it was four weeks and had it probably been another week, the race a week later, I would have been back in the car, which would have given me a stab at maybe another Formula 1 career. But listen, I look at it and I look back at this, like we're talking about it, and I'm one of the lucky ones that got to drive a Formula 1 car and race it. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50-80% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Yeah, that's amazing. I just remember there being such a buzz. So just... um. Was it about muscle memory? You know, when you said you felt relaxed in the car, did it just become instinctive? Did that just take over and all the chatter and clutter in your mind was able to be pushed to one side? It was instinctive to, to a certain the degree. Of course it is, because you, you know what you're going to do with the pedals, you know what you're going to do with the steering wheel. Um, I set it up as easy as I could on the steering wheel. I carried everything they'd done on the weekend into that, so I had no kind of references to go into. But I, I think the biggest thing in F1 is when you arrive there and you've got 80 people all dressed in the same kit. You've got all the guests. You've got all the cameras watching you. You've got all the media standing in front of you. You know, and when I was in the car, I remember you've got the pit lane, you know, five minutes before the session starts, you've still got everybody in the pit lane, the paddock walk, the whole thing. So it's just a wall of people. And that's the daunting bit. Big Brother is watching you. All eyes are there. The cameras are there. The whole thing. You know, they, there's like 10 mechanics around the car until you fire it up, leave the blankets on. All of that, once that's away, you kind of feel like you're kind of in your own space and you're in control, although they're watching what you're doing. Uh, and that's where I think it, it just kind of carried on. And what I wanted to do was just get out there and get driving and actually get some feeling because from only then can you start to move to the next level. Um, but listen, I, somehow I knew what I was doing and somehow, I, you know, if the, the chance arose again, I would definitely be diving in there to have another shot. And let's face it, that could well happen because recently McLaren have stated that you are a reserve driver. So I'm, you know, 
I'm just harboring a hope, and I know you are too, that you might just get that call again. Yeah, listen, it'd be pretty cool. You know, McLaren have obviously, they've got the reserve drivers from Mercedes that they share their contract obligations, but I've got a, an agreement there that, you know, if they, if they want to lean on me and if, at the Grand Prix, and even if I'm at home, I'm on standby, um, I can jump in the car and go. I've got a great relationship with Zach. Uh, I've obviously raced with him in LMP2 and United Autosports. Andrea Saido, I didn't know him before he came to F1. Um, had a few media dinners with him where we took him out and tried to have a bit of light-hearted conversation, put some wine into him, let him relax Just a bit say, as a German. <laughs> yeah. try, and get, try and get him out of shell because the Germans are quite hard to break. Uh, but he's a very good guy. And, um, you know, last year when I did it at Silverstone, obviously you need some cover. And from there on in, it's just developed into something. And this year I said, yeah, I can be on cover. I'm there. Um, I can equally be, you know, if you need me, if you've not got somebody there, um, lean on me. Give me prepared and then you can make the decision, whatever's right at the time. Um, so the, the only change to my life that's happened, I've had to up my training slightly. Right. To get back on the neck training, back on the strength training. And I still don't, listen, it's still never going to be enough. But, um, you know, you, you do what's possible. And, uh, you know, I've been very much of the opinion I don't carry any extra weight because of my height and for LMP2 and hypercar because driver weight's not included in F1, it is included in the car weight. So I've, I've up to, to, to make sure I'm conditioned if I need to be. So if Daniel Orlando, if something, something happens, then um, I've got a suit if, if needed. And for anyone in any doubt about Paul's fitness, I can assure you that if we ever do a track run together, he just disappears off into the distance. You're a mere speck on the horizon as I try to keep up. You're naturally very fit. It's not, you know, a huge amount of effort for you to stay that fit, presumably. Or you just no, make it's, it easy. <laughs> it's, it's not huge, but what I've noticed is as I'm getting older, I start to pick up niggly injuries. Yeah. Uh, you know, my shoulder, my neck, I've pulled a muscle in my neck, doing some neck training. And, and that's all the things, you know, as F1 drivers, you don't appreciate the effort that goes into the fitness, especially now as well. Um, and you can only be driver fit once you've been in the car and done the races. Um, but like I say to you, uh, you wouldn't have to even sentence and I'd have, you know, it should be in there, my boots would be on just to have a have a go at it because, you know, you, you would relish the chance of where it is. And I don't underestimate what it would be and I don't underestimate what an even bigger challenge it would be than what it was in 2017. Is there any sense of injustice that your F1 career did finish too soon, at least the first phase of it? Because I know that it was a lot to do with funding, as it unfortunately always is. But, you know, is there a niggle at the back of your mind that it's unfinished business? Absolutely. Um, unfortunately, that unfinished business is, you know, the book shot. Um, you know, you get to a certain age where it's not going to happen. Um, you look at the F1 grid at the moment and you see some of the drivers and you think, Wow, but I guess that's for other people as well. I've equally got a lot of friends that have had a CV like I had and never even got a chance to do Formula One. And that's where I count myself as one of the guys that was in the right time at the right place. I just wasn't the right time, right place to get the right car to show what you could do properly. Um, and I look back and I would have done things very different, but you can only say that in hindsight. You, you think you're doing the right thing at the right time. Um, I would have liked to have done it a different way. Um, I know how my body works. I know how my concentration works. I know how my life works now, how I could have optimised more. Uh, but I guess that could probably be the same state for every single person that goes into it. Um, fortunately, some people get the chance to, to nail it quicker and I didn't get that. So, so what regrets do you have? Specifically, what would you have done differently? Um, I suppose mistakes. Um, probably another thing was probably being a bit easier on myself probably enjoying the world a bit more mindset 
I was too, you know, probably too concentrated on trying to get back home, get training fully into it. Where actually I think, well, probably what would have been better for me is actually with Laura because she was willing to try, willing to travel, was actually to go and enjoy ourselves more, maybe with enjoying myself more, be more relaxed. That would have been a bigger part on the track to let me get the job done and where I was. But I'm very dedicated and focused on what I want to do in life anyway. And I sometimes need to try and stop myself being so emotionally attached to something because I almost dive in too deep when I get there. And it's very hard to find what I do want to dive into, but when I get it, I'm fully into it. And I think just being a bit more, trying to allow the more natural ability to take over, I think that's probably the way about it. And if I look at the way I've raced over the past year and a half, the past two years, I'm in my prime. I think I'm definitely in my prime. You look at Lewis Hamilton, he's a he's a bit older than me. I would say he's in his prime at the moment. Absolutely stock, rock solid. I've raced Lewis all my life. But if I look about how I was racing and how I was achieving laps and how relaxed I was, it's you know definitely paid in qualifying. It's definitely happened in racing because I understand it more and it's just because I'm not overthinking it. Yeah, that is so interesting. I don't think you should have any regrets though because if you actually look... Uh, on a sort of more objective level at your life and you see your wife your kids your broadcasting career is blossoming and you're still racing you're ticking a lot of boxes it's great it's great I, I am ticking a lot of boxes and if I honestly say people say oh do you have regrets not being from the one nothing can change when my two kids would wake up in the morning and smile on their cot and there's nothing in this world I would have changed it for nothing you know, to see them and see how they've developed. So I've absolutely, I know the difficulties people have trying to have children and I've been very fortunate. I've got a boy and a girl, so I haven't got regrets. I would have liked to have done it and I've got unfinished business, but maybe I'll get, you know, something else that I'll achieve in the next five to 10 years and do another racing. Absolutely. Paul, it's been such a pleasure to talk to you because actually it feels like a different kind of conversation. Normally, uh, you know, we're either chatting in the office, going out for food, or we're talking just about racing. And so it's nice to actually just talk about you and your life and get a better understanding of what makes you tick. So thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much for your time and your insight, Paul. Always great to chat. And loads more great guests coming up on In The Pink, including the three girls that I am doing this golf challenge with. Now, for anyone who doesn't know, and there can't be many because I've been banging on about it for long enough, but I am taking part in a challenge to learn golf from scratch. From scratch to scratch. Get it? See what I did there? Uh, Definitely won't be getting to scratch. But I am trying to learn, having never hit a ball, and then we play each other, and then whoever wins that wins a place in the BMW PGA Pro-Am in September. Unbelievable. That just makes me a little bit nervous even saying it. So I am doing that with Fleur East, Bella Shah, and Helen Skelton. And all three girls are going to be coming up on this podcast in the next few weeks. So can't wait for that. Thank you for your company. Um, do let us know who else you want to hear from on In The Pink. And some of those Bose headphones could be heading your way. See you very soon. Bye for now. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, 
Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.